This is episode number 255, Unleashing the Wisdom Within You, with Bill O'Haran. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your false potential. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to make a few quick announcements. First one being an invitation to our upcoming conversation, which takes place every single Friday at 10.45 a.m. Central Time, part of our weekly series called Survive to Thrive, Attitude of Gratitude. What this is, is a series of conversations where we explore the connection between gratitude and resilience, gratitude and grief, gratitude and appreciation, and many other topics. If this is of interest to you, please consider visiting our website at overcomingodds.today, where you'll be able to find the latest details regarding our upcoming conversation and ways that you can join it. The second announcement that I wanted to make is in regard to our work. And that is if our work has had any form of impact in your life or helped you see your world through a different lens, please consider supporting our cause by making a contribution through our website at overcomingodds.today or leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Now, let's get back to the show. Bill. Welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Can't wait to chat. As my wife says, I'm incapable of small talk. So <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is what I love to do. No, so thank, thank you. you very much. Appreciate thank, your time. Thank you for being a part of it. And also, I guess, thank you for being, what, just a few miles down the road? Yeah, I can't believe it. Blocks. Yeah, you're <laughs> 10 the miles chances, away. Right? <laughs> I can't believe it. I thought you were kidding. You said you're from Austin. I'm like, is that like Austin, Missouri? Austin, Maine? <laughs> No, it's, it's always fascinating for me to meet people who are that close in proximity. And I also find it fascinating how even looking at the background that you have in the conversation we were having, having prior to hitting the record button about my world travels and everything and this whole concept of finding oneself and, and tapping into the wisdom and everything that's already within us. The thing that really fascinated me about what you were sharing was this concept of getting to a particular age in life and being able to learn the things that you could learn about yourself. And I've been curious, why is it that specific age or close to it? Why can't you experience the wisdom and the perspectives at 16, 19, 23, mm-hmm. compared to the ones that you experience at my age, 28, yeah. 29, 30? Great question, great question. I'll start from the highest level that, you know, the human kind of development goes in seven, seven year cycles, right? So there's seven days of the week, there's seven planets or seven chakras, seven's a kind of universally, not to sound new agey, but it, it's a, it's a soulful number. It's a number that has, has universal, um, a universal frequency called. And so um, if you look at what happens when we turn 21, um, we have 
we're actually beginning our young adulthood. We're still kind of developmentally, we're still adolescent, but that's late adolescent, early adulthood at 21. Now, here's the here's what we're really talking about, these mini crises, right? The first really crisis is 14. We finished two seven-year cycles and we enter, you know, 14, 15. And what's happening there, Oleg, is we're, we're leaving the limbic body from zero to, to eight, nine, 10 years old. Our human body is almost purely limbic, which means it's purely ripe and it's emotional, soaking stuff up. 80% of what kids pick up at home from zero to 10 is nonverbal. In other words, it's not what parents are saying. It's what they're human beings, young kids are absorbing and it's their limbic body that's being formed. In fact, your, your entire kind of reactive emotional construct as a human being is formed by the time you're 10 or 11. You absorb your parents' world. You've absorbed their heart, their disposition. You've got your own karma. And then 14, what happens is you're leaving the limbic world and you're entering the more rational world right? You're, you're out in the world. You're, you're in high school. You're figuring things out. You're trying to get your identity. Your egoic self is starting to form. You get to be 21, right? So you've just finished three seven-year cycles. Now you're kind of really beginning your adult world, 21 to 28. Now here's, here's the, the magic moment, 28, 29, do the math. Um, and, and there's a ton of research on it. What happens at 29 is the left brain and the right brain, this emotional body I've been talking about that you've soaked in for your first 12 years of your life. This right brain stuff is starting to come up and it's merging with your now 28 year old rational self. Who is Oleg? Who am I? Who am I in the world? Like you've now had kind of seven or eight years in the adult world, 21 to 28. So you've built up a, a nice sensibility from your rational mind, from your left brain, from your logical, from your analytical self, right? The egoic self. Now these two worlds start to collide. By design, biomagnetically, biophysically, the left brain resists right brain. Left brain resists our right brain, the memories of, you know, the saddest of a kid, all this, whatever it is, not good or bad. It's just this, this, this pool of emotions that we've soaked in and, and brought into this lifetime. Now they start to merge, right? How many, my counseling client list is young couples, 30, 31, 32. Um, my first crisis uh, 25 years ago, I was 31 years old. I was working in the financial field in London, making a bunch of dough. I wasn't happy. I was miserable. Why? I don't know why. I know now. I was, the brain was starting to millenniate. And so what happens is the sense of meaning and, and the lens through which you look at the world is now being, is being imposed and shadowed and, and compelled by what's happening inside of us. The emotional world in you is waking up right now, right? Why are you going to go travel? Because a part of you is like, I got to seek meaning. There's got to be more meaning. And like you said, at 23, 24, if we were talking, I'd be like, hey, you should go travel. I'd be like, yeah, I'm busy. I'm busy. Why? <laughs> because you were, you were building stuff in those 20s. And so that's the first crisis, right? I just got goosebumps. The next one, and on all this, all this stuff, this isn't my invention. This is all you can look up online. Alice Bailey did a ton of work on this. Um, and then the next big one is really 42, right? So seven times six is 42. Now you're You've had a bunch of years in the adult world. And then that inner part of us is now going, okay, what am I going to do in the latter part of my years? The biggest one is 49, 48, 49. And you see it all the time, right? That's the classic midlife crisis. You know, businessmen, they get the Porsche, they divorce their family, and they go off with the 26-year-old secretary, right? That's like the classic headline midlife crisis. But there is an absolute biomagnetic, biospiritual component to these seven-year cycles. The first one being that 2930. Well, really, the first one's kind of 14, 15. The big one, the big next one is 29, 30. And then 49 is a big one. I can't tell you how many of my buddies. I'm 56. Um, 
when they turned, when they were 47, starting to be 48 and in their 48th year, they're like, oh my God, what am I doing? I'm like, hang in there, hang in there. And it's the best time, especially where you are. It's the best time to slow down and do what? Go inside, take a look at those emotions, dance with those emotions. The Native Americans, elders for the last 30,000 years, 40,000 years, have had a ceremony called lamenting. Lamenting is the process of just slowing oneself down, getting into that right brain alpha state, and they start weeping. Actually, a ceremony of dance that, that, that imbues and embodies weeping, because weeping is just softening and the appreciation of being human. We're one breath away from not being here. That, but as a Buddha says, a butterfly lands on a flower, and we've, we've appreciated life from, a, from, a, from an intuitive, physical standpoint. We intuit life so beautifully and so physically when a butterfly lands on a flower, you weep for a moment at just the beauty of life. And that's when the sensibilities of life and you really understand. The Hindus say true wisdom is a feeling. It's not, it's not, it's not a chunk of knowledge. True wisdom is like, you just know, right? When you're sitting and you're going to do a lot more sitting, you're going to have this insight like, wow, I really am, you know, this or that. And you're just going to, you understand it. And when you understand a truth, a noble, perfect universal noble, there's a feeling in your heart and your belly. And then that feeling then gets translated up to a thought and then you can express it through your book and through your podcasts. But you have to start with emotion. The universe is feeling-based, thought next. Humans have been going it recently, the last couple hundred years, the other way around. They're like thought first, gotta be thought. I wanna create it, I wanna create my life. And you gotta feel your life first, feel who you are, and, and introduce that to your rational self and the two of you together, left and right, move forward in time. Sorry, that was a way too long explanation. I That's totally apologize. Good. <laughs> it's, fast, it's fascinating that you bring that up because I've actually experienced a similar thing in regard to appreciation. In the last however many years, it hasn't been that long, but I've really felt this deep pull towards being more appreciative of life. And I don't mean necessarily the human life, but all life in general. And I, I can't tell you that mm. five years ago, I had that. It's only recently that I can started to look at leaves, trees, caterpillars crawling across the street, and just being able to almost put myself in their shoes. Obviously, having a little bit harder time conceptualizing what that would actually be like to be a leaf or a tree. But at the same time, feeling that energy and that appreciation, and I kid you, I, I don't know how many times I will walk through it and just all of a sudden just start crying, just Beautiful. out of nowhere, just processing that. And I've, that's why I've been curious as far as what is this stage of life that I'm going through as well as it's got to be other people. It's just di different components that help them realize those appreciation points. Two things, three things, start with two. The fact that you're a young man who can express that I saw a beautiful tree, I was in the grass and a tear came to my eye. That's your non-physical self. That's your eternal self, right? So we're just borrowing this bag of flesh that's animated with something, Atman, Yahweh, soul, whatever you want to call it. We're animated by this thing that's on its own journey. Your soul is connected to this, what they say is this oversoul, this big, we're connected to everything right? Einstein said it. We're just space. We're just interference patterns. We're just, everything's electrons. So what happens when you slow down, especially 28, 29, why? Because your emotional body is waking up. 
the, the neurons in your heart are waking up to this great intelligence. And so you're, you're almost getting into a frequency of mother nature. You are getting into the mother nature, which is universal. That tree right in front of me has consciousness. That caterpillar, everything has consciousness. So if you have consciousness and waking up and the caterpillar and the ant and the grass are conscious, you're just getting into their frequency. And when you do that, there's such a magical appreciation for the, that we're just part of this unbelievably big show that's been around for billions, beyond billions. It, it takes, it, what happens, the egoic self kind of breaks down going, oh my God, this is so beautiful. Here comes the tear. The tear is the recognition of being on the same frequency as that, as everything else in the planet, right? So 85% of your body, Oleg, is the dust from the original Big Bang. Are you kidding me? So not only part of everything, we've been, this flesh has been here from the beginning. And so that's what happened. Our rational mind isn't designed, our rational mind is to construct on the physical plane. The rational mind is built for the earth plane. But how many different dimensions of experience are there in the universe? A trillion? How many different planes of experience, right? And so this is just one thin layer. The earth plane is one thin layer. You read Robert Monroe, this Monroe Institute in Virginia. He wrote Far Journey, Ultimate Journey. He spent 40 years going out of body. And he said, the reason why humans come back to earth, the reason why you're here, is you chose to come back to this heavy, kind of stinky earth plane because you can learn a lot on earth. And everything you learn here, you take with you when you leave the physical and go back and merge with the eternal. But this is a really great classroom. And your natal chart is the footprint, is the, is the um, template of, of the energetic proclivities of why you came to earth this time with these parents, this time. Like, and so this is your footprint, your natal. You're here for 90 years. You're just here to learn lessons. And when you turn 28, 29, that's when the classroom really begins. And then when you hit 42, you're going to be like, whoa, what I thought I knew at 29. Oh, my gosh. Like, I'm 56. I thought I was pretty smart in my 30s. Oh, my God. And I'm like, got to my 40s. I'm like, oh, I didn't know anything in my 30s. I get to my 50s. I'm like, <laughs> how did I function in my 40s? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so that's, you're, you've got that, you have that curiosity and you want to keep knowing. But you, these phases, in the end, oh, like every religion, every culture is based on one process. It's called death rebirth. Every single culture from the beginning of time had symbols, whether it's the cross, they all borrowed from each other, right? The Christians borrowed from the Hindus and blah, 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 blah. And all the death rebirth is, is breaking down the rational self, the I must know, and getting into the non-rational self, getting into the, getting into the emotional body, into the feeling world, right? When they say son of man in the Catholic work, they don't mean son of man. Son of man means a perspective that's built on the rational, physical time, 24 hours a day. That we've, those are all constructs, right? Time, rational world, cars, those are constructs. That means when you're, when you're kind of tuning into those constructs, you're kind of tuning into using the word son of in man's time. Son of God, all that means is you're slowing down, tuning in and tapping into the universal. That's the God mentality. That's just the universal. God's not a, you know, a white, maybe he is a white dude with a beard and stuff in the heavens, but He's everything. It's everything. Um, anyway, it's, it's this breaking down process is, is what you're doing. So the, so the 28, 29 is the first human crises, death, rebirth process in your life. It's beautiful. You're, what's dying away? Your old perspectives. Your sense of meaning is waking up. It's being reborn. 
in its natural way, death, rebirth. Everything is a death, rebirth process. How do you personally tap into and differentiate between the two, the rational and then the emotional? You, you spoke a little bit about tapping into the emotional part. And is there a series of questions that you go through to get you closer to that thing that you're looking for or what's really important? How, what's the, what does that process look like for you? That's a phenomenal question. Here's the most important thing to do. And then stuff comes act comes once you do this and you're doing it now. The most important thing to do is to get in a chair, close your eyes, straighten your spine, right? This is the cord. The electrical cord of the body is the spine, right? The spine carries all the information. Spine um, uh, transmigrates through all the chakras, comes up to the back of the neck, and then pops, this is called, the Hindus call this the mouth of God. The medulla is the mouth of God. That's where the energy from the outside world comes into the body. And so, and then you have the uh, third eye and then the top. So the third eye is the triangle. It's on a dollar bill, right? There it is. On a dollar bill is the triangle, third eye, which is your deepest um, conscious self. The point is, get into this position, breathe softly, and listen to your heart. The human heart with all its brain neurons has all the information. We just often don't want to listen to our heart because it takes time. The heart's going to remind us about memories from fourth grade when we got, you know, didn't get picked for the kickball team. And, you know, dad walked out the door and mom and dad got divorced and grandpa died and our dog died. Those are heavy memories, sadness, longing, but all those memories store information. And so if all we have to do to start, and people say, Bill, there's gotta be more than just sitting. No, sit with your back straight, breathe quietly, forget about the breath and just listen to your heart for as many minutes a day. And the heart, you're gonna have these guarantee. First of all, you're gonna, you're gonna weep, you're gonna cry. And then through those tears, you're gonna have the most unbelievable insights about who you are, where you're going, why mine earth? And for some people, for me, first time I sat 26 years ago, I sat March 17th, 1996 in London. I fell to the ground in a pool of tears. I woke up, I heard welcome back, Native American women like chanting. It sounds like I thought they're gonna take me away in a straitjacket. But from that moment, 26 years, 25 years ago, I have felt and heard information and knowledge that does not come from the hard and fast world, just intuition, just a knowingness. That's that picked my curiosity beyond the pale. I couldn't stop reading and I couldn't stop studying. But what I never stopped doing is meditating. This morning, 15 minutes, get out of bed. I don't even pass go. I get right to my cushion and I sit and I listen. Where am I at today? How am I feeling? Who, you know, who am I today? I've been doing that for 25 years every day and I'm still don't know the answers. To answer your question, start with a heart and just keep sitting and put a pad of paper right there and sit inside. Ah, oh, when I was three, God, it's amazing. Keep sitting, keep sitting, keep sitting, get bored, get angry. Oh, why do I have to sit? This sucks. You just keep breaking through those layers, death, rebirth, keep breaking. What are those, what's holding you back from sitting longer and listening to your heart? You, you're the only thing holding yourself back, your sense of self. There is no enemy out there. There's no... You know, there's no landlord like knocking at the door, like you got to leave. Like we could come up with all the excuses to get off the cushion, find excuses to get back on the cushion. That is the elixir. That is the silver bill of people, but searching 
you know, all, all the new age stuff people have been searching, get on the cushion and listen. That will take care of 80% of what you're seeking. That'll answer all those questions. In your opinion, why do you think it's not enough to just be? Why is the world constructed through the lens of do, do, do instead of be, be, be? That, my friend, is a phenomenal question because being is the hardest thing and it should be because we are built to just be. We are beings and we all struggle because. It's literally in the name. Human yeah, being. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I think 300, 400, 500 years ago, if you guys were, you and I were talking, we'd probably be a lot better at being. We probably were a lot better at being, you know, a thousand years ago, 2000 years ago, eight years ago. Um, I think that the human psyche collectively um, for the last 2000 years, right? We've entered this new age of Aquarius. I know it sounds all new agey, but the vibration's shifting and we all know it, whether we believe it or not. Um, we are getting back to more being because we've seen that all this not comfortable with just being is just has really put a pall on Mother Earth, right? Our devouring, our wonderful curiosity of consuming and not being comfortable just being, having more, collecting more, we're seeing the impact of that. And I think we're going to get a lot better at being, but I think we're just a restless as a culture, as a being, as a species, we've been really restless and we want to accumulate more. We want to fish more. We want to forest more. We want to build more. We want to create more, which is beautiful. But we, I think we've kind of reached this kind of saturation point where now we've got to balance. You and I have to be more and just be okay with ourselves and not have to devour more in order to feel more full, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I've been curious about that because I think there's a couple of things that you pointed out. First one is the whole concept of constructs and looking at all these things. And that's what I'm starting to explore at this chapter of my life is just really understanding that much of the world that I've built around me, they're all constructs. Money doesn't have meaning unless I choose to give it meaning. The car doesn't have purpose unless I choose to give it purpose. All these other things. And it's just been fascinating to observe how much of the world that I've personally built around myself is around the doing. It's become a lot more about human doing rather than human being. And then I find myself in the other boat, the one that you described, having the difficulty sitting down. Five minutes, 10 minutes. Think of that. Struggling there, wrestling, like, man, why am I doing this? This is so boring. Who does this? Yeah. What's the point? <laughs> How much longer do I have to do it? It's this ongoing. Checking I call it. Watch, right? Yeah, it's I call it the ongoing New York Times bestseller that's writing itself. The only thing that's missing is the physical, tangible form that I can read afterwards. But it's all these stories that I create when the reality of the matter is it's you. <laughs> you create that. You created the world through your thoughts, your emotions, and your actions. And yeah. it's just, it, it speaks to me a couple of things. First is the power of those things. How a simple thought or a simple <laughs> emotion can trigger a thought then can trigger an action. And then boom, you have an iPhone. Boom, you have a computer. Boom, you have a car. All of these tangible things, which could be experienced in a different way. It do provide a different experience, but at the same time, there's just this ongoing dilemma almost happens at the same exact moment. Yep. Yeah. Um, first of all, what, what's amazing is 
in a way you had to spend the first 28 years of your life doing in order to appreciate the undoing, which is what you're entering right now. And so again, you know, we've already talked about it, you know, five, six, seven, eight years ago, you, even if I'd said to you, sit, you were going to be too busy doing, because that's just where you needed to be in that time of your life. Cause we have to build stuff up an egoic construct, a sense of who we are, high activity, build some kind of business, whatever it is. We need to do that in our twenties in order to look at the little tower we built and wonder if we're going to remake the tower, climb down the tower, or you know what I mean? In other words, we have to build it in order to undo it a little bit and to pull back. Um, the rational mind is so powerful, right? Is it 50,000 thoughts a day? Okay. And as, as I was just listening to this podcast earlier, a documentary or something, somebody was saying, every thought you have doesn't deepen your understanding of yourself. It's just an echo. The rational mind really is just an echo. And, and when we're, for the first eight, 10 years of our lives, our rational self is being built on the foundation of our emotional self. So our thoughts emerged out of our sensibility as a young, young child. And our sensibility of young child was 100% influenced by the biomagnetic disposition of our parents. We soaked. The name of my book originally is going to be called The Space in Between because we absorb our parents' world. So here we are, the first 12 years of our life, completely absorbing these two bodies, our parents, then we come in with our own karma. And then we, we come out and then we've we've now we've got these beliefs that have been built up now guess what a belief is a belief is a thought that happens over and over and over again so we have these constructs a belief that black versus white red versus blue in politics whatever these beliefs are but they're just based on thoughts that can be completely unwound if we do what if we slow down open our heart up and go does that thought make sense like you know XYZ culture is this, XYZ culture is, hold on a second, that doesn't make sense. And how, how do we know it doesn't make sense? Because our heart's like, doesn't feel right. It's not right. Intuition, knowledge is a feeling, right? I started meditating and I swear to God, all these constructs, Catholicism, my parents' relationship, um, what it means to be genuine, all these constructs started waking up in me and I would call my mom and be like, your marriage is bullshit. Your, your, your faith, like you have this, you go to church and then you badmouth other people. That makes no sense to me, mom. It makes no sense to me. That construct doesn't work. And she's like, well, what do you, how, how'd you come up with this idea? It's not an idea. My heart knows. My belly knows. Do you know how intelligent your belly is, Oleg? Do you know how many neuron, brain neurons are in your belly? Do you know your heart sends 5,000 more signals to your brain than your brain sends to your heart? This brain is just a reflex organ. This is true intelligence. This is evolving. This knows it all. And so does your belly, your gut feeling, your intuition, your gut has a, has a magnetic biomagnetic connection to your midbrow. This midbrow is attached to your pineal gland. Your pineal gland is this antenna hormone. It's a, it's a, it secretes the hormone to relax your body, but it's also antenna to the rest of the universe. So when you slow down, close your eyes, focus on your heart, focus on your third eye, what they call the Ajna, the eye of God, Hindus, you tap into that, you're now connected to what Einstein says is the complete knowledge of the universe. And it all happens right here. So why do, if we can just be and have all the information of the universe that's ever been, and people can't even sit for five minutes, five. Oh, yeah. I told my client, five minutes, like, ah, I'm busy. I got, really? <laughs> you're busy? You're like, five? Yeah. <laughs> 
you know, take all the Netflix hours, right? And divide it by a very big number and you have a little slice of time. Here's why. Here's why people don't want to sit. Guaranteed. They don't want to sit because a memory is going to come up. And guess what's it going to make them do? Feel. Feel what? Sad. Sadness is the, is the siren call. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the calling of the, if there's sadness and they're coming and let's feel it. And when you feel the sadness, the body softens and we have this awareness. We have this opening. I believe the act of mourning, right? When somebody passes away, we mourn. Mourning is the most powerful biophysical, biomagnetic, biospiritual, psychospiritual emotion that the human being has. It's stronger than love. And mourning, when you start sitting, Oleg, and you're going you're gonna to have these big insights about who I am and where I come from, and you're going to have this powerful sadness. And what you're doing is you're mourning the loss of the perspective of who you thought you were or how you thought the world was supposed to be. And through this internal mourning of self and, and being human, you're going to come out and you're going to be and already are a one-eyed king in the land of the blind. And a one-eyed king in the land of the blind is that person who knows his heart so well, who knows his sadness and his joy so big that every person that walks by, you're going to know their sadness and joy because every human being is exactly the same. Every human being is going through exactly what you're going through with a different natal chart, with a different storyline. But everybody's joyous, everybody's sad, everybody's searching for self, everybody's doing it just at a, sim a different vibrational and a different karmic pace, but it's all the same. And it goes back to what you were saying 15 minutes ago. When you see that caterpillar, you realize your consciousness and his consciousness are like just a slight, like pretty much almost exactly the same. And people are like, what are you crazy, Bill? I'm not a, I'm not a caterpillar. I'm much more, I do more. Caterpillars can't do spreadsheets. Yeah, no kidding, no problem. But consciousness wise, we're all doing the same thing. We're trying to become. The epigenetic force that tree and I are doing the same thing. We're trying to get, we're trying to be today, be in our, he's trying to be in a tree. I'm trying to be Bill and I'm trying to, he's trying to reach for the sun. I'm just trying to figure out who am I and where am I going? We're all going through the exact same thing. When you meditate, you know, oh, everybody's, everybody's feeling this exact feeling lost, joyous, peaceful, frustrated, angry, discontented, everybody. And you're like, wow, six and a half billion people feeling exactly how I feel. And guess what it does? Appreciation. And not only appreciation for people, but that tree, that bush, that ant. I'm like, I go for a run. I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to step on any bugs or anything, right? Like, because <laughs> I'm like, I just. I'm the same way. <laughs> right? Yeah. So anyway, it's life when you really slow it down is really this magical, magical unfolding of self. And everything else, Oleg, is an illusion. And you said it before, your, your house, your car, your, you know, your apartment, your money, you know, it, it, those are all powerful constructs. And, and we all need to be doing out in the world because we are creative beings. We have to be putting our non-physical world into the physical. That's the translation of being human, taking what's non-physical. Robert Monroe talks about it, ultimate journey. We're here to take everything from this non-physical emotional world, from your, from your inner world, and put it into the outer world. But when you're doing it from a conscious state, from an awake state, from a state that brings you joy, that's when the real work and joy happens in your life. And that's the work 
you have been doing, you're going to go on this trek, dude, and you're going to be like, whoa, it's going to hit you. And one of those, one of those 10 day silence, you're going to be like, oh my God, I can't believe X, Y, Z. Oh my God. It was staring at me the whole time. And now it just showed up and you're going to, it's, it's going to be amazing. The, the thing that you mentioned, there are a couple of things. First, I love the, the title of your book. <laughs> Thank it's, you. It's brilliant. It reminds me of Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Mm. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Very similar thing. The space in between, that moment of awareness, then knowing that you can choose a different action depending on what it is you think you need to do or how you think you need to respond. So it's a very powerful thing. So I, I, I love it. A space Thank in between. You. I appreciate that. It's catchy and it, it's intriguing. Yeah. I want to know what is that space and, and between what? So there's a lot of questions within that, which is fascinating. The other thing that I'm curious to hear from you, and I think this is the direction you were hinting towards, is that if everything is from within, therefore, everything outside of it, is that just simply a reflection? So when, when the, and the reason why I asked that is because when I first heard this concept of changing one other person's life, I misunderstood that concept for many, many mm. years because I thought that the focus had to be on you for me to change your life, for me mm. to help fix X, Y, and Z that you're going through. What I've realized after a while is that why is it not enough to change your own life? Why is the focus have to be in the external when the reality of the matter is if I don't change myself, it's, it's the same exact thing. How can I give you something that I don't have myself? So if I don't fix or change myself, then what am I, how am I going to possibly do the same thing within you? And so that's where I got curious is the external world, simply a reflection of our internal world. The answer is the quick answer is a thousand percent. Uh, they call it the holographic universe. Like that tree right there. We've all just agreed that that tree exists right there. But if, but if you look at like the Native Americans and you read the accounts of the British when they went down to Australia in the beginning, a couple hundred years ago, they would see an Aboriginal, they'd look away, they'd look back and he'd be gone. He'd revibrate somewhere else, right? They're just it's, it's a frequency. And so if that is the case, and, and don't take it from me, you know, read, read um, um, all what Bohm has written, the whole graphic universe and all the science about we're just frequency patterns, right? And, we're, and, and the outside world just an agreed upon construct of that house. We've all agreed that the house is there. That's the frequency we're all on. We're all on a similar frequency. <clears throat> um, but in the end, in all cultures and religions, in the end, there's nothing else we can... If, what's the one thing in the world we can control? If I can't control necessarily the frequency or the agreed upon frequency of that tree, I can kind of relatively agree. If I can tell me, oh, look, what's the one thing in the world, the only thing in the world that we can control? That's a great question. You know, I it. used to think it many things. I would say a response, how we respond, but that's not always the case. No, you nailed it. How we respond, how we respond is based on one thing, how we feel. In the end, there's only one thing in the world that you can control in your life, how you feel, which controls how you behave and respond. Bingo, that's it, right? You think you might be able to control your car, you turn it on, yeah, pretty much you can control that until it runs out of gas. You know, there's nothing else you can control. Can you control the voting disposition of, of a populace? Well, you can vote and that'll have an impact, but net, 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 
in the end, if the only thing that is that we can manage and truly understand is self. And by the way, if understanding Mr. Smith or our neighbor or anybody else, if theoretically, which is a fact, the only way we can understand them is if we know ourselves better. Because how can we know Mr. Smith, like you said before, how can we know him if we don't know? How, do, how can I know his sadness if I don't know mine? Right? I'm a counselor. I spent 15 years kind of helping other people. And you brought up a great point. I'm not trying to change other people. What I'm trying to do is hold space for somebody for them to enter this curious place of undoing themselves. Now, this, the space that I can hold can only be as rich and as, and as prolific and as worthwhile and constructive and therapeutic. It can only be as therapeutic as the work that I've done. In other words, it can't be any deeper than the work that I've created in myself. And so my goal, and I know your goal is, my goal is if, to work on Bill, break Bill down so low and so deep um, to, the, to the bottom, to no self, so that I can hold space for other people. And do I want to change people? Yes, I want to hold space so somebody can change themselves. I had an hour and a half conversation with a young couple last night, and I'm just holding this space and, and, and translating for them through that masculine feminine lens through which a man looks and a woman looks, which is different. Point is, I know that lens so well through my own work with my wife. I read about it, I meditated on it, but I had to experience, I had to get my ass kicked. We had to go through therapy. I had to have the experience of having my ass kicked and broken down in order to hold space for other people. So to answer your question, the only thing we can do is work on self. That's it. Now, of course, you have to have a job. You have to pay the bills. You have to go out and you have to sell and all that kind of stuff. And I have a day job. I'm, you know, I sell stuff, but I do it from a place of where am I in every minute before I make every call? It's just a quick check-in. You know, I'm just, I'm checking in with Bill. Where am I at? I'm happy, joy, frustrated, whatever it is, because I know the context of the energy I put out in the next couple hours is going to be based on what I'm feeling right now. And so people don't want to work on self because we're a messy being. We're, we're sad. We're joyous. You know, our kids drive us crazy. We love them. All that stuff. And the rational mind is simple. The rational mind is black and white. Spreadsheets, right? And we live in that world and it's fine and it's good. But then if we want to relate and understand the world and understand ourselves, that we have to leave the rational world, death, leave the rational world and enter the emotional world. And a lot of people won't do it. A lot of young folks that I see are doing it. What you're doing, Oleg, brings me such incredible joy to know this next generation is coming with a desire to be curious and to help and support and make money and build in the material world and create material. We have to, we're creative beings, but doing it from a consciousness what you're aware of at 28, my generation, are you kidding me? My generation, 28, so that was in the 80s, like uh, like us men were like, well, go make money, right? Like I'm being a little facetious, but it's beautiful. You guys are pioneers. This is a new age. This is, I'm not being new age, man. I'm, you're, you're a pioneer in this next age, this next epoch. We've left the Piscean age where it's the single God religions and the fat, white, rich men making the decisions and it's becoming progressive and inclusive. It's just the way mother earth is going. And I know that sounds crazy. And some of your listeners are like, well, that guy's a whack job, but these, none of those are my words. We are entering the, the Aquarius age where it's going to be more, it's going to take a while, five, 10, 15 years. It's going to be a bumpy ride. It's going to be a lot more killings and stuff. It's so sad, but that's the transition. We're death, death of the Piscean single God males run, white males run the world changing. It's changing. Mother earth can't take it anymore. 
How do you sound crazy? Connect? Uh, no, I think you're, you yeah, sound like you're Bill, supposed to sound You are like crazy. That. No more coffee. <laughs> <laughs> How do people connect with you and where can people find oh. out more about your work? Yeah, thank you so much. Um, so you, they can go to Whole Counseling. Uh, so like Whole Foods, but Whole Counseling is my website. A um, bunch of information there. Um, my phone number, my email. My book, Waking Up Marriage, Finding Truth in Your Partnership. The original, the original title was going to be called The Space in Between, but the, the folks helped me write the book and, and edit stuff. They said there was too many books called Space in Between. So it's called Waking Up Marriage, Finding Truth in Your Partnership. But it's not about marriage. It's just about relationships. The friction of relationships are the thing that can bring the most growth in a person's life. So your relationship with your parents, your friends, your boss, your neighbor, not good or bad, but it's going to create friction. And in that friction is where we wake up if we're willing to do the work. Um, and really, so I, I use 60 de- 67 different sources and quote, just 67 different sources in the book. It's kind of a, it's a little bit of a uh, um, kind of self-help textbook. That's a storyline. It's kind of my story. Um, with little, some fictional characters, but it's really just trying to get people to, the bottom line is sit quietly, open up and use the relationships in your life to help you awaken yourself and finding truth. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can hear these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we look forward to having you next time.